Good evening, everyone. It's good to see all of you back again tonight. If you will, open up. We'll be here in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're not already there, that's where we're going to be staying uh, this evening as we sort of focus on a little bit of what we discussed this morning as well. Um, before we get into our lesson, I want to encourage you. Uh, I know this, uh, this is a special group. Uh, with your prayers for the next couple weeks. Uh, we've got a number of young folks that are going to be at different camps. Uh, during the beginning of next week, next Sunday is going to start our Murray Christian camp. I was looking over last year, I think last year, uh, we had six baptisms. And what was surprised on that was that's kind of low sometimes. I think the second week had a number of them as well. It's going to be hundreds of kids that are there thinking about their relationship with God. A lot of our kids have become Christians during that time. I want you to be praying for them. Uh, be praying for the young men. They're going to be future ministers camp. is happening at Graymere this week. A lot of different uh, men and the ladies have a camp as well. Uh, guys that are preparing to be ministers. And what we need in the kingdom is way more uh, people, young people, that are deciding they're going to give their life to God's work and to his kingdom. Uh, but as you pray this week, that's something that you can do uh, to make a great difference. Uh, to ask God to bless the efforts for help these hearts to be open and for kids to be touched by what is going on. It's going to be a, a great couple of weeks. I know God will uh, come in and bless those activities, but I think as we go and, and speak to him each day, we ought to, uh, you know, be begging him uh, to help those works to be as successful as possible. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago we did one lesson on some prophets and I wanted to look at a few couple Sunday nights where we're looking at different uh, Old Testament prophets that were speaking. I want to tell you a little bit about the book and then I want to give you something uh, hopefully that will uh, encourage you and pick you up regardless of your situation and also help us to have a little bit of perspective uh, even more so on what we talked about this morning in coming and, and worshiping God. I was mentioned to the Bible class this morning. I said, well, I know that I maybe went a little bit long this morning, but you should have seen all of the stuff I threw out in order to get it to the amount of time that we had. When you think about coming into the presence of God, uh, the value of worship, the challenge of worship, what we can do in coming into his presence, uh, there is so much to discuss, so much deep, uh, meaningful things we can find in God's word about the importance of that. And tonight's lesson is going to be kind of twofold. We want to look at the different prophets that we've been studying, but I think this sort of fits exactly in with our direction uh, that we went this morning. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's a book that was written, uh, again, by Isaiah about the 8th century B.C. Isaiah is going to be a prophet. He's going to come and speak on God's behalf to the uh, nation of Israel. There's going to be the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes as well. He's going to be speaking to them. And for about 20 years, he's going to come and tell them what God's message is for them. His message is one of, you have to repent. Judgment is coming. And he's going to be telling them time and again. The ten northern tribes, while he is trying to tell them to change, they don't change. And God allows the Assyrian Empire to come into uh, those ten northern tribes. And they're going to totally wipe them out and haul them into captivity. That's going to happen about 722 B.C. So at that time, those ten northern tribes are going to be hauled into captivity. Isaiah is not going to be captured with them. He's going to continue to prophesy. He's going to be down in Jerusalem as well. He's going to be there as uh, the Assyrians are going to come and try to take the city of Jerusalem as well. But for 40 years, he's going to speak God's will uh, to these individuals. Uh, the book of Isaiah is considered one of the most influential books in Scripture. As you look at Old Testament Scripture, you're going to see that the Jews had a great emphasis on this book. 
Uh, as you're reading about the coming judgment of God, he says that. That is exactly what takes place. But he's also going to be given a message of hope. So as you read this book, you're going to see that, yes, you're going to be destroyed. The judgment of God will come, but God's also going to send a deliverer. Uh, some people are going to talk about Isaiah as the messianic prophet, prophet, but his main purpose is, I want you to know and understand the holiness of God, and then I want you to uh, answer his call to repent. So the Jews are going to highly value the book uh, as he brings them this hope of restoration and coming back home. Christians also are going to have a great high value about this book as well. The book of Isaiah is going to be one of the most quoted books from the Old Testament in the New Testament. When you hear the idea of Isaiah as you read through it, if you decide that you're going to read that book this week, then you're going to see some things that, oh, well, I remember that. One of which was this morning. Uh, Jesus is going to quote Isaiah, and if you remember that this morning, what did he say? Well, did Isaiah say about you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, teaching his commandments, you know, the traditions of men. Jesus says, look, Isaiah talked about it. Back in the 700s, Isaiah talked about it, and today it's going to be true as well. And what was Jesus' message? You've got to change. You need to be called to repentance, and you need to be restored. Isaiah did it. The ten northern tribes didn't listen, and what happened? They're hauled off into captivity. Are they going to listen to Jesus? No. What happens? A.D. 70, once again, a foreign army is going to come in. The Romans will come in and wipe Jerusalem out and Jerusalem will be no more. The message that Isaiah had was the message that Jesus had, and I think it's a message that we continue to see. We've got to change. We've got to listen. We've got to make sure that as God is calling for change in our lives, we repent, we make those changes, and we can be restored. So Jesus is going to quote from Isaiah. You'll see that a number of different times. Uh, people didn't like the message. They didn't like it when Isaiah gave it. They didn't like it when Jesus gave it. They aren't going to like it if we ever give it. The idea of a call to restoration. But it's also a call for hope. You're going to see uh, Isaiah talking about the Messiah. If we were looking in the New Testament in Acts chapter 8, you're going to have Philip, the evangelist, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, there's a guy traveling from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He's in a chariot. I want you to go and meet the guy. And Philip is going to see that chariot. He's going to run up to the man. And he's from Ethiopia. He's a treasurer. And he's reading through a scroll that he's most likely just picked up in Jerusalem. And which one did he want to buy? He wanted to buy the scroll of Isaiah. And he's there coming out from Jerusalem. And he's already in chapter 53. And Philip comes up to him and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how would I unless somebody sort of explains it to me? So he hops up in the chariot with him and he says they get there and they're right at the point that they're reading. And you see that they're opened up to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And what do you read? Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It says that Philip, from looking at Isaiah, preached Jesus to him. That's all that we know is that they were looking at Isaiah. You look in Isaiah 53, and it's one that we could read before the Lord's Supper because it's going to give such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did about someone who gave up their life who was taken from the land of the living and took upon himself the sin of mankind. Isaiah was the one that prophesied about that. And this man heard preaching about Jesus and he says, well, here's water, what keeps me from being baptized? And they're gonna go down into the water and he's gonna be baptized. Why? Because 
of what Isaiah had said hundreds of years before. So I would encourage you, maybe this is the week you want to sit down and look at this book. Uh, read through it. You're going to see some beautiful pictures of God. You're going to see a call for judgment. You're going to see a call for restoration, but you're also going to see hope. You're going to see God's promises. It is given in such a clear way. You're going to have descriptions of Jesus that's plain as day to us on the other end of his life, but it was definitely worthy of your study this week. So I want to encourage you along those lines. Tonight, I want us to examine one passage uh, that focuses again on our study from this morning. And hopefully this will help to inform us, but also sort of set our mindset as we think about the challenge of coming into the presence of God and worshiping him. So again, Isaiah chapter 6, I want us to look at it and read it one more time. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, With two, he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he touched with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Well, he starts off this chapter as giving this vision, Isaiah's vision of God, where God is going to come and show himself to him so that he'll know exactly who's the one that's going to give him the commands, exactly the one who's going to be with him. And this is going to be the calling of Isaiah by God in order to go and live the life that is going to change not only his world, but the worlds and so many people that would come after him. And it says that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. So in this vision, he's going to see God in the midst of the temple. Now we just hear that and we just kind of move on. But if you back up and look at exactly what was happening, I think we have a great message for us today. In the year that King Isaiah died. Well, this King Isaiah, he's also going to be called Azariah in 2 Kings chapter 16. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you're going to read about him as well. And you're going to see that after uh, he's going to be one of the good kings there in Judah. He's one of the ones that does what God wants him to do. And he's going to be one of the longest reigning kings. He's going to reign for 52 years there in Jerusalem. Uh, You read about everything that he does in 2 Chronicles 26. God is going to give Israel a lot of victories because he's going to do what God wants him to do. He's going to defeat the Philistines. He's going to defeat different armies. He's going to have all kinds of great success. God is going to bless him, and everything is going well within the nation until he realizes just how much success he's had. He had done a lot of great things, but now it says whenever he grew strong, he became proud. And what you see in this interaction is that he's going to come and he uh, decides after all of these victories, he comes up and comes to the temple and says, I want to worship God, which is quite interesting to our lesson this morning. He comes in and says, well, I'm going to offer up incense in the temple. And Azariah, the priest, comes to him along with 80 other men and said they were valiant. He says, no, that's not the way that it works. 
But the king says, look, I've been the king all this time, and I want to worship God, and I want to burn the incense, but that's not what God authorized. Just like we talked about this morning, he says, look, there's certain things that I want, and there's certain people that I'm going to accept it from, and king, as powerful as you are, you're not the one that's supposed to come into the temple and offer this incense. He said, it's not going to work. He says, I don't care. I'm the king anyways. So Isaiah goes into the temple to offer that incense, and when he does, God strikes him with leprosy. Pops out on his forehead. He sees what's happened. He's obviously brought low. He didn't listen to the message. And it says he's a leper until the day that he dies. So as Isaiah says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I want you to think about what's happening. His entire life, most likely, we've had the same king. 52 years, who remembers the king before Isaiah? We've had success. God has blessed us. But the king didn't just die. The king was struck by God because he ignored God's plans. He ignored God's uh, will for worship. He has died because of what God has done. What is coming next? Is Jotham his son? Is he going to be a good king or not? And you have uncertainty. And you have all these things of wondering what's going on. And everybody else is going to say, well, who's in charge or who's going to be the next king? A lot of times as you read that, some people are going to be kings for a short period of time. Is there going to be a revolt? Is there going to be a rebellion? Is there going to be a civil war? Everything is under a total unrest the year that King Isaiah uh, died. And you see that at this point... This is the year that Isaiah has this vision of God. At this very moment when everybody is wondering what in the world is going on with our country, God makes himself known. And what does he say? In the year that he died, the Lord wanted Isaiah to know that he was on the throne. Isaiah was not the king. God is the king Isaiah was not the one who was in control, who ruled in every way. God is the one who is in control. So in this time of upheaval, in this time of wondering what's going on, you see that God is in control. And I think for tonight, the one lesson that I'd really want you to take out from this for you personally as you walk through whatever you're dealing with right now is to know that God is in control. When kingdoms topple, God is in control. When leaders fail... God is in control. Whenever hardships come, God is in control. When, whenever blessings are pouring down, we need to remember that God is in control. When the world turns against God, you know what? He's still in control. Now, I think you've got it at this point, but I want you to actually participate with me. You can speak out loud because I think you see where we're going. Whenever I'm suffering, repeat with me, God is in control. Whenever you're uncertain, God is in control. Whenever we're unsure about tomorrow, God is in control. When you need forgiveness from all of your problems, God is in control. When you need grace, God is in control. When you need help, God is in control. When you need wisdom, God is in control. Before an election, God is in control. After an election, God is in control. You know, as we look through these different aspects of our life, whatever we're dealing, whatever we're going with, we need to understand that God is in control. Before America existed, God is in control. After America's gone, guess what? 
If it were still around, God is in control. Regardless of what our society says, God is in control. Regardless of what others say, God is in control. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God is in control. And that was the message. You had all these other things going on, and who's the king, and who's going to be the next king, and what are our enemies going to do? And the, all the, the Syrian has fallen, all these different, or the Syrians are coming in. There's all kinds of pressure that's taking place. What exactly are we going to do? And he says, in that year when King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, and you know where he was? He was on his throne. He's high, and he's lifted up, and the train of his throne, uh, his, the train of his robe is filling the temple. He sees just how awesome God is. And it's something that we should never forget as well. And then what else does he say? Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. What are seraphim? Well, these are angels. These are created beings that are there in the presence of God. And a lot of times we have pictures of angels with two wings. And that's not what you're going to see here. Really, as you look at the idea of seraphim in Scripture, there's a lot of different imagery that you can have. These can be very fierce created beings. Here they have three sets of wings. And it says with two, they're flying. With two, they're covering their face. With two of their wings, they're flying. And with two, they're covering their feet. And with two, they're flying. And what are they doing? They're calling out to one another and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What do they have to say? God is holy in every way. The earth is full of his glory. And it says, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah sees all of this and he sees the presence of God. And you just kind of wonder what it would be like if we walked in and you saw the power of God. These seraphim, these mighty created creatures are there. And uh, you see them coming in and all they want to do is come and to praise God. Angels are humbled at the presence of God. If you looked over in 2 Kings chapter 19, you'll see the story of what happens when those Assyrians come down to Jerusalem to conquer it like they had conquered everybody else. One of the neatest stories in scripture that we can really tie back uh, to history, and we've talked about that, that Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, is going to come to Jerusalem. You can go to the, I believe it's in the British Museum in London, where you can see the prism where he says, I had Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage. But he never says that he defeated Jerusalem. What do you see in Scripture? That they come there, and they gather up, and Isaiah is going to come to king, see King Hezekiah, and he says, you're not going to fall. And it says, one angel one angel of the Lord came and destroys 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in a night. One seraphim, one of these angels come and destroys the most powerful army known to man. What we know with history is that Sennacherib goes back home. He never defeats Jerusalem. When he goes back home, he's going to be killed. And you can see Isaiah saying, hey, this is what's coming. His sons are going to kill him, and the history of man and the history written within Scripture are going to be hand in hand. They just don't quite tell you why he left. An angel who's powerful enough to destroy the entire Assyrian army. But you know what he's not good enough to do? Show his face to God. He could have been flying with every set of wings. But when he comes before God, 
And he comes into his presence as powerful as that angel is. His face is covered because I'm in the presence of the king, the Lord of hosts. He's got another set of wings, and he could be flying with two sets of wings, but he's not going to do that. With two of them, he's going to cover up his feet because you know what? Feet's where you walk around, and that's common and where you're going to be on dirt, and I don't even want God to see my feet. He can destroy all of the humans, but in the presence of God, all the angel can do is just cry out, Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God of hosts. Pretty awesome, isn't it? The real glory of God truly in all it's what is true awesomeness is what Isaiah is able to see and he sees God in all these ways and he sees these powerful beings that are in his presence and he hears them crying out about how awesome God is. They have no problem worshiping. It is gonna be natural in every way. They're hesitant and they have that reverence and that awe and that humility that we talked about this morning because they are there and his, his, uh, his, the train of his robe is filling the temple. He's speaking and the earth is shaking. Smoke is filling that presence and now you're in the seat of Isaiah. What do you do here? I think Isaiah kind of does what we would probably be feeling like. We'd probably be sliding down in our seat maybe getting down underneath the pew. He's looking for an exit. Why? Because when he's there in the presence of God, he knows he doesn't belong. Look at what he says, verse five. Here's a proper response to witnessing God in his holy temple. Woe is me. I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does Isaiah think about the presence of God? I'm, I'm not worthy to be here. I don't belong here. What does he say? I'm lost. I'm impure. I'm not clean. Not only that, I dwell in a world and everybody here is flawed. Everybody here is sinful. Everyone here is unclean. I dwell among unclean people. And now I've seen the king. I've seen the Lord of hosts. And you know what? There's a true aspect of our lives that anytime we think we can come into the presence of God, we should feel unclean, unworthy, and insignificant. And that's what Isaiah is thinking. And that's what we could think too until... Jesus came. Anytime that we think, for me to be in the presence of God, I'm not worthy to be there. I don't know that I should even be in his presence. What does God say? I love you so much, and I want you in my presence so much that I gave my only begotten son for you. If you ever wondered if your sins were going to keep you away from me, know that I'm going to pay anything to get you back into my presence. And yes, we're unworthy, but you know what Jesus does? He says, you can come and I want you to pray to him and call him father. I'm going to make you a child. Every parent wants their child to come into their presence. Guess what? You're a child of God. Why? Because of your relationship with him through Jesus. You're impure, absolutely, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what did God do? I'm going to pay for your sins. 
You live in a broken world and God knew it. But what did God say? Come to me anyways. You know what I want to do? I want to give you forgiveness and I want to give you rest. Isaiah is before that Messiah has come. And what does he think? I just need to get out of here. He doesn't understand just how much God loves us. But we can know that God loves us that much. He calls us. He makes us right. He calls us his own. And Isaiah was right. He was unclean. But look at God's response in verse 6. It's just a small figure of what we know as the whole picture of the redemptive process of God in our lives. One of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah looks and says, Look, I'm not worthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. I have no business being here. And you know what? He kind of looks at him and says, Well, you're right. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take care of that. And one of the seraphim goes over there to the altar and he brings a coal in the midst of this vision. He's going to come and touch him. And he says, look, I'm going to make you clean. I love the fact that God doesn't get on to him. He doesn't tell him a bunch of other things. He says, oh, you've got a problem or I here's a solution. He comes and he makes him pure. And what does he tell him? Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. When you come into the presence of a holy and mighty God and you feel unworthy, you know what he wants to do? He wants to take away your sin. He wants to take away your guilt. He wants you to know that your sin is atoned for. I wonder how that hit Isaiah. Did he believe it? Did he believe that he wasn't guilty for the things that he had done in life? Did he really look back at all of his sins and say, well, I I don't feel bad about those things anymore because God's taking care of it? Did he sit there and have this angel come and touch his lips with those coals from the fire and say, oh, I'm at one with God again. I've been atoned. All of my sins are gone and I am totally right with God and I am now worthy to sit here and to listen to what he has to say. I am worthy to come into his presence and be here with him. Did he really believe it? I would sure hope that he did. But maybe more importantly, is for us. What does Jesus do? He tells us, your guilt is taken away. And your sins have been atoned for. Do you believe it? Are you walking through life trying to continually carry guilt from your bad choices? Are you carrying a burden that has been lifted? Are you thinking about things in your past and things that uh, you have done that you know is unright, that you know is unclean, that you know is impure, but are you still carrying that around when God said, look, I want you to know that your guilt is taken away and your sins have been atoned for. That price has been paid. Are you still carrying something that you shouldn't carry? Do you still come into the presence of God and say, well, I'm going to be totally, uh, I'm not worthy for this. I don't feel right here. I don't know if I should be here. I'm looking for the exit. Or do you see the God who said, I have paid for everything for you to feel right at home sitting at my feet. You're my child. I love you. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. Do you believe that about your life? 
you're a Christian, we need to know that. Uh, if you're a Christian, once you really understand that, look, I don't have to walk in guilt. My past is behind me. Those things are for, uh, behind me. My, what I've done in the past has been totally washed away. Then I come into God's presence and I think, can you believe he loved me that much? Can you believe he paid that price? So I come in and when we come to worship, we say, look, I'm ready to talk to the one who did that for me. When we know that our sins have been atoned for and everything is forgiven, and not only do I have to feel guilt, but I know that I am no longer guilty. Why? Because Jesus Christ took away all of my sins and I am totally forgiven. Makes me want to praise him. Makes me want to sit down at his feet. Makes me want to be in his presence and come to understand the person that he has called me to be. If you do, if you understand that, when we internalize that, we live differently. We didn't read verse 8, which is going to be Isaiah's commission for the Lord and our last thought this evening. Once he saw God, understood who he was, understood his relationship with him, his unworthiness to be there, but then understood that his guilt was forgiven, his sins were paid for, he was atoned. He says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Well, it's going to be quite the send-off for Isaiah the prophet. And you can read the rest of the book, seeing what he was going to be called to do. He was going to have great days and he was going to have great turmoil. He was going to have great victories and he was going to have times where he was going to feel like, what is the way out of this? But in the rest of his life, he was going to walk serving the one who had called him, who had shown himself to him, and he was going to walk the rest of his life fulfilling that purpose for him. As disciples, we're called to be more. We're called to live in such a way that we come and we bear fruit, that we glorify our God, and God is still saying, who's going to go into Columbia? Who's going to go into this society with these people? Who can we send? Who will go? And may we all have the same answer as Isaiah. Here am I, send me. What will that look like? It'll look differently for all of us because we have different jobs, different abilities, different talents. But all of us have somewhere to go if we're listening to the call of our God. Maybe with our family, maybe with our friends, it may be with your neighbor, it may be with a visitor that comes in here that you haven't met before. But God had a mission for Isaiah, and I believe with all my heart, he has a mission for us as well. What a great God we serve. Well, the Lord's invitation is always open. He came, Isaiah saw him. He wanted to forgive him of his sins. He wanted to give him atonement in every way, but Isaiah was gonna have to say, I'm ready. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready to walk with God? If you're not a Christian yet, I wanna encourage you to make that decision. He wants to take away your guilt. He wants to pay for every sin. What does he ask you to do? He's asked you to believe, to confess him to repent, turn away from those things, but to be buried with Jesus in baptism. Why? So you can be a child of God, so you can live a brand new life, so that you can go into this world being what God has called you to be. If you're ready to do that tonight, we will rejoice with the angels in heaven if you make that choice. But maybe tonight as you come, you're still dealing with guilt. Maybe you've turned away from him and you wanna come back home. Maybe you just want him to know that you want to serve him. Uh, it's a great thing to do that, to tell other people publicly. We want to encourage you to do it. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. We want to help you to that end. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand, as we sing.